Maybe many of you, uh, well, maybe you've heard the name, maybe you haven't. The man's name is Gaton Dugas. Doesn't probably ring a bell. But he's rather famous, or infamous, if you will. You see, he was a flight attendant. Uh, he was a French-Canadian flight attendant that flew into New York City on October the 31st, 1980. And while he was in New York City, he visited a bathhouse. And from the relationships that he had there, he is called Patient Zero for the HIV virus. Up until this time, uh, well, I mean, there may be some exceptions. This is debated by some, but up until this time, HIV, AIDS were, it was in other nations. It was other countries. It was across the world. It wasn't here. We didn't have to deal with that. But he has been dubbed patient zero. From him was the spread of AIDS in the United States of America. That's been uh, 34 years ago. Right now, presently, there are 1.1 million people infected by the HIV virus that it's estimated. Um, and think of the amount of people that have died since 1980. This man himself died of AIDS in 1984. And think of the, the influence he has had on so many lives because he infected them. You see, when we talk about infection, when we talk about um, contagious, usually it's said in a very negative context because typically we're talking about disease and things that hurt us and and uh, we want to stay away from anything that's contagious. But there, the word just simply means being able to share things or, or having things shared. And, and that's not bad. It's neutral. Wouldn't you like to be able to share good things? Wouldn't you like to know that because of you, countless people have come to Christ and have obeyed the gospel? You know, we don't want a legacy where we can infected people and, and millions of people died because of me. But wouldn't you like to know that there are a host of people who are going to be in heaven because of me? That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about ways that we can be more contagious Christians so that we can have a part in and we can touch and, and help people to learn of Jesus and accept him and they in turn share it with others. I think there's a general misnomer about being a contagious Christian because people sometimes think that, well, in order to be effective in, in society today, if if we're going to be effective uh, Christians or an effective church, we've got to have a big building. We've got to have a big membership. We've got to have a big budget, big attendance. Uh, we've got to we've got to entertain and have theatrics and drama and all this kind of stuff. We've got to be that kind of a thing in order to have any kind of rubbing off on people. It's just not so. In fact, I dare say that the church is not going to grow by entertainment and theatrics and all that kind of thing. You know why? Because we'll never be able to do it as well as the world 
The church cannot outplay the world. Whatever we think that might draw people in, hey, let's do this. This is fun. This is exciting. The world will like this. Well, whatever it is that the church thinks it's appropriate to offer, the world can offer it so much better. They're better at playing than we are. So just just give up on that because that's not what's going to... And if it brings them in, then what are you going to do next Sunday to make it even more exciting to keep them coming back? You know what we need to do? We need to do what we're good at. And that's preaching the gospel. We need to tell people about the love of Jesus and how he can impact our lives. That's what we have to offer the world. And that's what we're good at. So let's do that and leave the rest of the stuff off. We can't do it as well as the world anyway. I think that uh, there are three principles that I think will help us to be contagious. And these are things that we need to work on in our own life. Uh, number one, we need to be amazed at the glory of God. And then we need to be transformed by the love of Jesus and be yielded to the word of God. If we'll do and work on those things, I, I think we can be content. We don't have to be big. We, we, listen, Jesus started 2,000 years ago with 12 men. And he spent three years with them and and he taught them and they were close together and they spent time together and Jesus left and sent them on a great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Those 12 men have infected the world with the gospel. Here we are today across the ocean meeting and worshiping God Because of those 12 men. They took the mission of Jesus. And look at what those 12 men. They were patient zero, if you want to call it that way. They're where it all started. And we're 2,000 years removed. And a continent removed. And we are the effects of their relationship that they had with Jesus. Wouldn't you like to know that you could do that? Wouldn't you like to know that 2,000 years from now, there will be people worshiping God if the world still stands. And they're worshiping because you touched the lives of someone who touched the life of someone who touched the life of someone and on down the road. That's what we're talking about. And, And in order to do that, we need to be amazed at the glory of God. Don't let Christianity become mundane. Don't get bored with Christianity. How could we ever allow that to happen? Do you realize who God is? Have you spent time, have you given time to think about the glory of God? I mean, the God who created all that there is and the vastness of the universe, the complexity of the systems involved, even within our own bodies, how we function and how that is sustained and put together. The glory of God. You know, when Hubble telescope was was sent out into space, there was a section just kind of for the fun of it to see what would happen. For several months, they aimed that telescope to a a spot. And I wish I put the slide up on the, the screen. I could have shown you. But there was just this little spot in the sky where it didn't look like there was anything. They weren't aiming for solar systems or anything. They Just that blank spot. And they put all the focus and energy of that telescope for several months in that spot. And they enlarged the picture. 
and there were literally thousands of galaxies in that what we see with our naked eyes as nothingness. Why would God make such a vast universe and that there would be things that we even can't appreciate by our naked eye? It's that vast. What if you could have sat in the Garden of Eden on a limb and watched God do it all? What if you would have been able to watch and observe over his shoulder as, as he brought things into existence and gave them life and purpose? Would you not be awed by him? We need to be people who are amazed at the glory of God. We also need to be a people who are transformed by the love of Jesus. Have you lived long enough? Have you been in a relationship with Jesus long enough to to see the change that he's made in your life? Do you know that you act differently and react differently than you would have a year ago? Can you see those kind of changes that that you can only account for because Jesus is living in you? You're, you're trying to do better. You're trying to imitate your life and be like him. And, and the more you do that, the changes. Sometimes you'll say things and you'll think, boy, a year ago I would have let them you know, have peace of my mind. And you react differently. The love, the transformation that the love of Christ makes in our life, that's contagious. And also the, the, the fact that we're yielded to the Word of God. When we learn to do the things that we're not inclined to do, you know, when, when we can, can muster the strength because we, we know who God is, we trust Him, we love Him, for who he is and what he's doing for us. And so because of that love, we yield ourselves to do things that we're not inclined to do at all. Those are the kind of things that are contagious. When I live that kind of life before my neighbors, they see a difference. When my life is permeated by glorifying God, being transformed by the love of Jesus and by yielding myself to his desires and his will, people take notice. I don't think anyone has ever done that as well as Jesus did. And and I want you to turn to John chapter 4, and we'll spend the rest of the lesson looking at a few ways that Jesus touched people's lives and had an impact. And and I just want to ask you to take notes and to try to model that in your life. Let's be that patient zero uh, in a positive way. May our influence be such that countless, countless people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus because of the life that I lived. Well, in John chapter 4, we have a, an occasion when Jesus <clears throat> passed through Samaria and... Um, he met a woman there, a Samaritan woman. The disciples had already gone ahead to get some food and supplies. And, and while they were gone, Jesus is sitting by a well. And he meets this woman who came to get water uh, from the well, as was her habit. And they had a conversation. And, and uh, the events eventually transpire into the city. At the end of the chapter, the city come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to... To just look at some things that Jesus did. And the first thing that I notice is that Jesus talked to people 
not at them. Do you see that in John chapter 4, verse 7? A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? Sometimes when we study with people or we meet people that need to know more about Jesus, we've got to just jump in. We can't talk about lesser things. We don't have time to talk about the weather or about your family or about where you live or about your children and your grandchildren. We got to get right down to the heart of matters and start talking about their sin and, and pointing that out to them so they can change. Jesus wasn't just talking at this woman. He was talking with her, to her. Casual conversation. Hey, can I have a drink of water? I don't have anything to draw water from the well, and you do. Would you, would you give me a drink of water? Can we just befriend people? Can we talk to people in a casual way that eventually leads to open doors where we can discuss more difficult and more sensitive issues? Jesus was that kind of person. We need to be able to, to talk with people. And, and not just because I know some things doesn't mean I know everything. And there are people who may need to know the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean they don't have things to teach me as well. And I may know what to do to be saved, but they may know some things about how to discipline my life to be more conformed to the image of Jesus that I can learn from them. Let's not just think it's all one-sided. I've got to get this person to sit down and listen to me for a little bit. Can we dialogue? That's what Jesus starts out. Can I have a drink of water? And I want you to notice this about Jesus as well. He turned the ordinary conversation into a spiritual conversation. He asked for a drink of water, but look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see that transition? Jesus says, hey, could I have a drink of water? And they have a little discussion about that water that he wants and why he would ask her for it and so forth. And then he said, well, listen, you know what? If you really knew who I was, you wouldn't, you'd be asking me about living water. Look at verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up unto everlasting life. Jesus says, let's talk spiritual. Let's make this transition from this to that. Can we not learn to do that? And there are so many things, so many ways in in this earthly pilgrimage where we, we have things in common with people. We can talk sports. We can talk politics. We can talk weather. We can talk... Nation, country, government. There's so many things that we can talk about. Can we, with a little sanctified imagination, can we not bring those things to Jesus? Do we not have enough opportunities to, to look at those conversations and bring them around eventually to where we're talking about Jesus? I, I think we can if we want to, if we choose to. If we make it our goal and intent to get off of the physical and get into the spiritual, we'll find all kind of things. You know, a number of years ago when I started writing 
Mercy Mail, one of the things that I try to do is, is to look at everyday events that we see all the time. They happen all around us. And then put a spiritual spin on it. The parables. A sower went forth to sow. We, we understand that. It's a farmer going out and sowing seed. But Jesus took it to a different level. And he said, it's like that. Seed is sown in receptive hearts and hard hearts. And he made the illustration. There are countless ways that we can look at today's news, current issues, and bring it to Jesus. That's what Jesus did. I want to drink a water from this well here. And before they got done, he's talking about living water that will provide sustenance and quench her thirst for spiritual things. The third thing that I notice about Jesus in this passage is that he gave people reason to follow him. What he says is, you take of this water that I'm offering, you'll never come here again. You'll never thirst I mean, out of you will flow rivers of water, a fountain of water. And boy, that's interesting. She's tired of the water pot on her shoulder or on her head, walking however far she had to walk out here to get this water every day or every other day. I don't know what it was, but it was a trip that I'm sure got wearisome. Who would want to... Would you like, if your water went out for a while, back... You know, in West Virginia, where I preached in Nitro not too long ago, maybe you saw the national news, they had a spill in one of the rivers, and for a long time, they didn't have any water. And some people still don't have water. Do you know how inconvenient that is? In a day in which we have bottled water, that's inconvenient. But imagine if you had to go out and walk a half a mile or a mile to a well and gather water and bring it back, And you had to do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. She wants to know. And you telling me that I can have water, that I won't have to make this dreaded trip every day? I want to hear more. Jesus offers so much to this world. This world is hurting. And and if you can offer hope to people, you don't think they'll respond? People are desperate. How do you think these faith healers or fake healers on television have all these people flocking to them even after they've been exposed for various things, practices that were deceptive and manipulative? Why is it that they continue to have thousands and thousands of people show up because they're desperate, wanting hope? Present Jesus to people. He offers them hope. Jesus offered this lady hope and and she gave him her ear. You know, the addicts of the world, I can see why they would want Jesus. Those who are steeped in sin and have destroyed their homes and their marriages and their children, I can see why Jesus would be interesting to them. What about people who are sick and have no long-term life expectancy? You don't think Jesus resonates with them? What about the person who loses his job and doesn't know what to do about tomorrow when they learn of Jesus who can provide eternal security to them in Christ, in Him, and a hope for a better future? 
And Jesus is the answer. He gives people hope, and that's what so many people in this world are looking for in a variety of avenues. Give them something. Give them hope that Jesus offers. And look what else Jesus did. He didn't force himself on this woman. In verses 26 and 28, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Jesus let her go away. He's talking to her about salvation. He says, I'm the Messiah. And what's she do? She leaves. Do you see Jesus saying, no, wait, where where do you think you're going? You come right back here. I'm not done yet. I just told you. Did you not hear me? I am the Messiah. He, He let her go. He wasn't going to force himself on her. And we need to allow people time to think. You know, I'm going to preach a sermon here today. I'm going to extend the invitation of Jesus in just a minute. And and not everybody that needs to respond to the invitation is going to respond to the invitation. Do I want to take my Bible and go home then? Well, I don't understand. I, I preached the truth and they heard it and they didn't respond. What, what What's the matter with those folks? Have you ever been tried or has anyone ever tried to sell you anything over the phone? Uh, hey, I've got this great thing. Is this, uh, how, how, what do I sign you up for? Magazine. What, what do I sign? You want two year subscription or three year? Just, just tell me your credit card number and I'll get you signed. I don't want to do business that way. I have to think. If, if I'm going to do it in the first place, I'm not going to do it right then and there. I've got to mull things over and make decisions when I'm a little more rational and not pushed in a direction. People are the same way. We can't expect... Listen, Paul said, I want you to preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering. As we teach, we have to do it with patience, with long-suffering, giving people time to make up their mind, time to think it through and to, to weigh things so that they can make an informed decision. Jesus didn't force himself on her. He let her walk away, go to town. For all he knew, they may never meet again. But he allowed her that that opportunity. And then the last thing that I want to point out this morning is that Jesus created intentional encounters with people. How did it come about that Jesus ran into this woman at the well? And that through their conversation about getting a drink of water would lead to spiritual water, would lead to her going back to the city, telling all the men of the city, I think I may have found the Messiah. And they all come to Jesus and they believe in Jesus, not because of her testimony, but because they heard Jesus speak. And the Samaritans come to faith in Christ. How did all of that happen? It was an accident. It wasn't accidental. Look at what John chapter 4 and verse 4 says. Verse 3, as he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. 
Well, he didn't need to in the sense that's the only way they could have traveled. But he needed to to accomplish his purpose. Do you have plans? When it comes to your relationship to Jesus, when it comes to to touching other lives and 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 blessing them with the knowledge of Jesus, do you have plans or is it just accidental? Is it just coincidental? Is it just, you know, happenstance when you, you get an opportunity? Or do you plan? Do you scheme? Do you think and devise of ways, dream of ways that you can talk to people? Do you pray about those kind of things? Do you ask God for open doors to say, Lord, open doors where I can reach out to people and the people I run into every day and and be able to bring them around to talk about you. That's what Jesus did here. He went there with a mission so that he would run into this woman and she would hear him and want what he had and go back home and tell others so that they would want what he had and they came and heard him and they too became believers. And it was all because Jesus wasn't haphazard. He had a plan. It was his mission. Are we not also to seek and save the lost? Isn't that our mission as well? Well, who goes on a vacation and has no plans? Who goes on a trip and makes no plans? Not very many people. We usually figure out how far we can go and where we can stop and where we'll have to stay and and then what we'll do when we finally arrive at the destination. We, we usually have some ideas in advance. If we will take the time to plan our vacations, what excuse do we have for not planning our mission as a child of God? How can we turn around and and stand before God who knows our thoughts and our minds and knows what detail we put into our vacation time and entertainment time, but we gave no thoughts, we had no plan of action for reaching people with the gospel of Christ. You may have already heard this, but Buzz Aldrin, when he landed on the moon, you know the very first thing that was eaten on the moon? It wasn't tang. It was the Lord's Supper. They landed on the moon on Sunday. And on this journey, Buzz Aldrin took bread and fruit of the vine so that he could partake of the Lord's Supper on Sunday. On the moon. If a man would plan ahead, an astronaut, to plan ahead to take the Lord's Supper when they're on the moon for the very first time, what excuse could we possibly have for not including God in our plans here? If anyone would have had an excuse, I'm too busy. You know, we're, we're in some crisis mode here. This is everything is just hinging. This is life and death stuff. I, I, who has time for the Lord's Supper on the moon? Well, that man did. Do we put the same kind of effort, emphasis, planning on touching people 
with the infectious love of Jesus. That's what he did. And that's what I'm calling us to do. In John chapter 4, we see what contagious Christianity looks like. And maybe by looking at the life of Jesus, our, our model for living, maybe we can pick some things out of this lesson that we ought to start trying to implement more in our lives so that we too can be contagious. Where will the church be in 2,000 years? To a large extent, the answer to that question is, what are you going to do tomorrow and the next day? It really does hinge on you. Twelve men 2,000 years ago were not content to know the saving truth of Jesus and keep it to themselves. They had to share it. And here we are because of them. 2,000 years from now, will there be people on the earth who are serving Jesus because of you? I sure hope so. Let's pray to that end. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel? He has, he gives hope when so many things look hopeless. He gives purpose to life, meaning to life. He can fulfill the gaps and, and the emptiness that you may feel in your life. If you're a child of God already and unfaithful and you need to come back to him, we'll pray with you. If you need to be baptized, we'll baptize you into Christ. If you'll come as we stand together and sing.